I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. CDKL5 deficiency disorder is a serious and rare genetic condition characterized by early onset and difficult-to-treat seizures, as well as severe neurodevelopmental impairment. Last year, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved Marinus Pharmaceuticals Zatami to treat seizures associated with CDD, the first FDA-approved therapy for the condition. Marinus is seeking to expand the use of Zatami in other seizure disorders, including tuberous sclerosis complex and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. We spoke to Alex Ametti, Chief Scientific Officer of Marinus, about Zatami, how it works, and the efforts to expand its use to other seizure disorders. Alex, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Daniel. We're going to talk about rare epilepsies, Marinus Pharmaceuticals, and its Therapies Atomy, which won approval last year for seizures associated with CDKL5 and is in development for other indications. Let's start with CDKL5 deficiency disorder. For people not familiar with the condition, what is it? Yeah, certainly. So CDKL5 deficiency disorder is a rare um, developmental and epileptic encephalopathy, which occurs in approximately one in 40,000 live births which results in about 100 newborns each year here in the United States. It was named after the cyclin-dependent kinase-like 5, or CDKL5 gene, which is responsible for providing instructions to create a protein involved in brain development and function. The disorder is typically caused by mutations or alterations in the CDKL5 gene, which ultimately results in the production of a non-functional CDKL5 protein. Um, in this disease state, um, genetic testing is required to make an accurate diagnosis. And, you know, certainly today we're seeing a huge momentum within the epilepsy genetics world, um, ultimately leading to increased testing. But I certainly think that there's some additional work and education that can be done here to ensure complete diagnosis in, in these patients. How does this condition manifest itself and progress? Yeah, so certainly seizures are one of the earliest and by far most prominent features of CDKL5 deficiency disorder. They typically begin in infancy, often within the first few months of life. And these seizures can be diverse in both seizure type as well as severity. And they oftentimes are difficult to control and may require multiple medications or alternative treatments. Now, we're still learning a lot about the natural history of the disease and the evolution of the symptoms and comorbidities to really understand how the disease progresses. One thing that data would suggest that in cases where patients do have an early beneficial response to anti-seizure medications, it's often that the efficacy wanes um, around three to six months. Therefore, there just continues to remain this need for an effective anti-seizure medication that offers a durable response. And prior to the availability of Zatami, how are patients generally treated and, and what was their prognosis? 
Certainly. Um, so currently there is no cure for CDKL5 deficiency disorder and, and treatment primarily focuses on managing the symptoms and providing supportive care. Um, now specific to epilepsy, treatment is primarily based on seizure types and really weighing the clinical benefits and risks of any specific treatment option. Uh, again, there's strong evidence that suggests that CDD-associated seizures are highly refractory to uh, previously available anti-seizure medications, again, continuing to highlight that large unmet need in which we studied cl uh, clinically. Seizures are a common feature of CDKL5. For people who don't live in a household with someone who has this type of disorder, the impact of these episodes can often be underappreciated. What kind of frequency and duration do these seizures occur with? Yeah, so, so patients with CDD experience very frequent and often severe seizures. In fact, um, approximately 80% of patients experience daily seizures, with approximately the remaining 20% experiencing weekly to monthly seizures. And uh, as imagined, these seizures are detrimental to patient and family quality of life patient safety, and have potential long-term impacts. Well, there's also physical impact on the brain from seizures. What is the long-term physical impact that continued seizures have on the brain? Yeah, that, that's a great question, and, and that certainly remains a hot area of research uh, even today. Um, it's certainly believed that ongoing uncontrolled seizures could negatively impact cognitive function, brain structure and connectivity, and ultimately lead to developmental delays. Um, as a result, we, we truly believe that effectively treating seizures early could likely lead to improved non-seizure outcomes down the road. But then again, further research is certainly needed to definitively say. You mentioned uh, impact on the whole family. What goes on in a household when a, a child has a seizure like this? Yeah, uh, not surprisingly, seizures are, are highly disruptive to daily life. Um, they may cause children to miss school, therapy, and uh, potentially other activities. Um, these disruptive seizures can ultimately affect a family's balance of good days with CDD, um, which are days with fewer seizures. Means that families can interact more easily with their child, um, feel more comfortable leaving the house for an afternoon or the park or for dinner, for example. Zatami is approved for this indication. What is Zatami? So, Zatami is a neuroactive steroid that was the first drug to be specifically approved by the FDA for the treatment of seizures associated with CDD in patients two years of age and older. Um, it is the first approved anti-seizure medication of this drug class called neuroactive steroids and provides a potentially exciting alternative to existing anti-seizure medications. What are neuroactive steroids? Are these naturally occurring in the brain? or So, so they are. Um, and in fact, ganaxalone is a synthetic analog of, uh, or Zotalami is a synthetic analog of a naturally occurring endogenous neuroactive steroid called allopregnanolone. And these molecules primarily act as um, positive allosteric modulators of GABA-A receptors in the brain. So for a layman, what happens when they use the Ptolemy? What is it? How, how does it work? Yeah. So 
Exactly how Zotomy works to treat seizures in CDD is not fully understood, but it is thought to reduce seizures by enhancing the activity of GABA, which is an inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain. So more specifically, um, Zotalmy is a positive allosteric modulator of GABA-A receptors, and we believe that it works to increase the inhibitory GABAergic tone through modulation of both synaptic and extrasynaptic GABA-A receptors. And I highlight that because this is unique to other GABAergic mechanisms, and the action at the extrasynaptic receptor could play an important role in the treatment of refractory epilepsies. You say it's unique. So how do epilepsy medications typically work? Yeah, so epilepsy is really just an imbalance of excitatory or inhibitory signaling within the brain. So um, different anti-seizure medications can look to reduce um, excitation or increase inhibitory tone. A lot of the GABAergic compounds, including benzodiazepines, increase inhibitory tone or GABAergic tone within the brain. Ganaxalone in the class of neuroactive steroids is similar in the, in the sense of how it acts on the GABAergic system. What makes it unique relative to other GABAergic compounds, such as benzodiazepines, is that action at the extrasynaptic receptor, again, which we think can have a, a potentially an important role in refractory epilepsies. And what's known about the safety and efficacy of Zotalmy from the studies that have been done to date? So the study that led to Zotalmy's approval was called the Marigold Study. Um, in this study, Zotalmy was assessed, and it was a phase three placebo-controlled global study in patients with CDD. Um, this study enrolled 101 patients in this ultra-rare disease, which we think is, is exciting. And these patients were aged 2 to 19. Um, the patients had a median of approximately 50 seizures per month during the baseline period, despite being on and trying multiple anti-seizure medications, just really highlighting that unmet need. In the, the clinical study, Zotalmy significantly reduced the monthly uh, seizure frequency over a 17-week treatment period. Um, those that took Zotalmy experienced a four times greater reduction in seizure frequency of 31% compared to placebo of 7%. Um, also in, in this study, the most common side effects of Zotalmy were somnolence, fever, drooling, and seasonal allergy. Now, that was the basis for ultimate approval. I think one thing that's also worth noting here is that after patients left the double-blind phase of the study, they were enrolled into an open-label extension, and we now have data um, out to beyond two years. As I uh, mentioned earlier, um, what the data would suggest in the literature, albeit through retrospective studies, is that efficacy of, of previously used anti-seizure medications likely wanes after three to six months of trial. What we're seeing in, um, we have data on 50 patients out to two years, and in, in those 50 patients, albeit in an open-label study, we're seeing approximately a median reduction of 50% of their seizures relative to baseline, providing some preliminary evidence that Zotalmy could have um, a, a durable response over time, which, again, f- requires further exploration. There are a large number of rare neurodevelopmental conditions that have seizures as a feature. How much commonality is there across seizures, and how well do we understand the underlying mechanism that causes them? Yeah, th- This is a good question, and the exact 
pathophysiology of these various diseases and how they lead to seizures is well understood for some conditions, but there still remains a lot to learn for others. However, with that said, the general mechanisms that lead to seizures are generally consistent between various diseases. And again, these existing anti-seizure medications really try to counteract those mechanisms, such as, again, increased excitation or, or loss of inhibitory tone. There's a, a big problem with seizures being intractable to existing medications. What's known about Zatami beyond CDD? We believe that Zatami, or we call it Ganaxalone, uh, as it's called in its investigational indications, really could have the um, potential anti-seizure effects in a variety of patient populations. Preclinically, it's been shown to have broad-spectrum anti-seizure effects, which does give us confidence to study it in multiple patient populations. Currently, it's being studied in a phase three study in tuberous sclerosis complex, which is another rare genetic epilepsy with predominantly focal seizures. And we're looking to read out those data by mid-year next year. And lastly, we are currently in the planning stages of a clinical development program in Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, or LGS. You're also working on second-generation formulation of Zatami. How does that differ from the first generation? So we're, we're certainly very excited about Zetolamy and the benefits we hope it'll bring to CDD patients. Um, however, with that said, we believe that there are attributes that we think we can improve upon with a new formulation. Specifically, there are some pharmacokinetic enhancements that we're aiming to achieve that we hope will lead to both improved efficacy and tolerability, and potentially even convenience with twice-a-day dosing. Now, we're still in the research stage of the new formulation development, and we're currently conducting our phase one studies. Um, and if we're successful in achieving the attributes that we're aiming to um, achieve, we hope to plan to study the new formulation in Lennox-Gastaut patient population. So would that have to do with some kind of time release formulation or the way it's absorbed? Uh, we have right now in our uh, kind of second generation product portfolio, we have a few different approaches we're taking. Um, the first one lead, um, is specific to formulation development, where we think um, uh, various excipients could help improve our oral bioavailability and, and absorption, leading to some of those enhanced pharmacokinetic properties that I talked about. A little bit further behind that, in an earlier stage research uh, phase, we are considering some pro-drug developments of Ganaxalone that we think could potentially play an important role on um, with some newer generation oral uh, formulations down the road. Having been through this process of, of bringing a, a rare disease therapy to market, what have you learned about overcoming the development and regulatory hurdles and things that you might be able to share with others trying to do the same? Yeah, we, we certainly have learned quite a few things during the early uh, days of this launch. And, and just, we, one of the things um, that we've learned and would certainly recommend is to continue to engage with the patient community early and often. Um, they certainly are, um, when there's a trusted relationship, they are very strong advocates um, again, with the ultimate goal of really trying to uh, improve patient outcomes. 
But some of the the lessons learned during the launch, I think the first, uh, there's a few that I'll highlight. I think the first one I'll touch on is as it relates to diagnosis. And I uh, alluded to this earlier around genetic testing. And, and even though we are at a positive inflection point in epilepsy genetic testing, I still think there remains an opportunity to educate about genetic testing, why it's important to understand the etiology and how it potentially could influence treatment decisions aimed at improving patient outcomes. Um, another thing that I'll, I'll bring up as a, a, a learning lesson is um, the role that the caregiver plays in the treatment decision. Um, certainly, these families live very hectic and challenging lives caring for an individual with CDD. And a treatment change is a very important decision and, and not one that the caregivers are always willing to make. And on our end, we respect that. And, and my goal on the scientific side is to really make sure that when a caregiver wants to inquire about a potential Zotomy treatment change, that he or she is equipped with accurate, uh, fair, balanced, easy to understand information that they can then speak to their provider about. Um, the last thing that I'll just quickly touch on, and, and I think we learned a lot during the COVID pandemic leading um, up to um, you know, our, our ultimate lot, launch, is around the access to healthcare and the increased utilization of telehealth to improve access to phys physicians that are really skilled in these specific rare diseases. I, I certainly think that there are many opportunities to educate around the value of telehealth, how to embrace and leverage it, and um, you know, ultimately to best manage these complex patients. There are some advocacy, medical society, and clinician activities that we're considering at Marinus to really help people realize the, the benefits of telehealth and how it could help either their practice on the provider side or their loved one on the patient community side. Alex Ametti, Marinus Chief Scientific Officer. Alex, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so, so much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.